0: Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Thank you for choosing uh, to be here and to begin your week in worship to God. There's no better way than to begin the first day of the week uh, than to be here in worship and to, to study God's word for our lives. And So thank you for making that a priority in your week for your families, for yourself, and, uh, and I hope today will be a blessing uh, to you. Thank you, Will, for doing a good job as always. And we're delighted to see our visitors. And we would love to see you back at any opportunity that you might have. Uh, we've got a busy, busy month here at Lindsley Avenue. Just want to remind you of a few dates. The first date is June 16th. We're going to be having our Super Duper Saturday, which is going to be a great, fun day for kids in the neighborhood and in the community, and so we want to uh, have a great time then, and also we have a youth group coming all the way from Oklahoma to help us, so God has been certainly blessing uh, the congregation here, and it's just going to be a big day, and we're going to be ministering to children and giving them uh, some things, and also uh, June 21st which is a Thursday night. We're gonna be having a singing, a good old-fashioned gospel hymn singing, and we're gonna be singing across the street in the front yard of the Howard School. We somehow got permission. Thank you, Robbie, for doing that. She pulled some of her strings, and we know she has a few of them, and so we're thankful for her doing that and, and look forward to singing hymns outside, and that'll be a fun occasion as well. So some great things going on. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to be studying from the book of Chronicles. Now the book of Chronicles is an interesting book because it looks very similar to 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. And so if you were just to look at it on the surface, you would think that it's basically the same story. But the interesting thing about the book of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, is that really the emphasis is on the good kings, the kings from Judah, and also on the temple. And so history tells us that it was probably written after the time in which the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. And tradition tells us that Ezra probably wrote the book of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So the emphasis is on the temple because the people of Israel are coming back from Babylon after being in captivity, after not having the ability to worship, and now they're coming back. And and so Ezra writes the history and puts the emphasis now on the temple. And so it's a book of renewal of worship for the people of Israel. And today we're going to study the unique story of a young king by the name of Josiah. And Josiah was this very young king. He came to the throne at the age of eight. And isn't that interesting? I think royalty is just kind of an interesting thing. I was, a few weeks ago, watched a little bit of that royal wedding over in England. And I just think it's interesting that we have this thing called royalty in this realm, and, and it's basically you get, you get born into something. And, and that's the way it was for Josiah. He was a descendant of David, and he becomes king very early on. But before we get into 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I want to begin by telling you about a shepherd not too long ago. A shepherd by the name of Juma. And Juma... Saw his goats climbing too high on the cliffs. How many shepherds do we got in here? Not a lot of us. You might have some goats. But Juma saw his goats getting out of the to where he couldn't watch them anymore, and they were climbing these cliffs, and so he went to chase down his goats with his friends. And it was in the ancient settlement of Qumran. And it was in January of 1947 that this shepherd was following his goats wherever they were leading him. You know how goats are. And as he was chasing down his goats, he saw some caves. He saw some caves in the cliffs, and so he and his friends took some rocks and they threw them, and they threw them into the cave, and then... To their surprise, they heard the noise of something shattering inside the caves. So the teenagers go into the cave and they discover inside these these caves are debris and jars, broken pottery, narrow jars, some with bowl-shaped covers still in their place. And then inside the jars were bundles Wrapped in cloth, and inside of those bundles were scrolls. Scrolls. Ancient scrolls. And these scrolls have been called, and I quote, the greatest archaeological discovery of the 21st century or the 20th century. Just some shepherds just happened to stumble into a cave and find these scrolls that are over 2,000 years old. Can you imagine that? They don't even know what they found. It's in fact what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Eventually archaeologists found tens of thousands of scroll fragments in ten of the nearby caves, making up some 800 to 900 manuscripts of ancient writing. What is the significance of these writings? is that number one, these manuscripts are actually the Old Testament. It has every book of the Old Testament except for Esther in all of these scrolls. And it goes back all the way to within 300 years of the close of the canon of the Old Testament. Secondly, what they found another amazing thing was, is that the texts were virtually indistinguishable from the corresponding Masoretic Masoretic texts that we had at the time. You see the text, the oldest texts of the Old Testament that we had at that time were just a thousand years ago. But these were to, over 2000 years old. And what they found was the highest fidelity of transmission of the text over long periods of time. In fact, one guy said it like this, "It is a matter of wonder that through something like a thousand years the text underwent so little alteration." Herein lies its chief importance, supporting the fidelity of the Masoretic tradition. What they found was, is that the text 2,000 years ago looked like the same text 1,000 years ago. Unaltered. Scripture has been preserved for us, and we're talking about the Old Testament. One of the greatest archaeologists, William Albright, said this, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament tradition. Discovery. Can you imagine discovering something like that? Priceless scrolls that end up verifying the truth of God's Word. That's what those shepherds found. But when we think about discovering things in an archaeological sense, we think that's pretty cool. But you know what? Life itself is really about discovery, isn't it? Sometimes we're looking for it. Sometimes we're not. You know, not too long ago, I lost the remote. And I couldn't find it. In fact, I told somebody at work, and they brought me a a universal remote. And then lo and behold, when we're not looking for the remote, guess what happens? It shows up. Now i got two remotes. But life is about discovery. One person once said it like this. It's life that matters. Nothing but life. The process of discovering. The everlasting perpetual process that the discovery itself, it's not the discovery itself at all. It's about discovering in this life, isn't it? And what what is your life really about? Isn't it about discovering who you are? Isn't it about discovering how the world is and the truth and who God is? In Deuteronomy it says, But if from there you will seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Life is about seeking, isn't it? What are you seeking in your life? What are you trying to discover in your life? Amos said it like this in Amos 5.4, for this is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Are we seekers? or Are we attempting to discover what life is really about? And what you find in the story of the king, Josiah, is that he was a seeker. That he was seeking to know the truth. He was a discoverer of that truth. And so 2 Chronicles 34 gives us that story. First of all, in chapter 34, 1, it says, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. And he was different from the predecessors. He was different from the previous kings because a lot of the kings of Judah and Israel did not obey God. But this is what it says of Josiah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the wooden images. So what we find in Josiah's life is that he begins to seek the truth. He begins to seek the Lord, even at a young age. And as he pursues the truth, as he rids Israel and Judah of idols, something else happens in the story. Look at verses 14-19, through which was our lesson text. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of God, Hilkiah the priest found... The book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. They found something. They found something that they had been missing. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king the word. All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan and the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. It's pretty dramatic, isn't it? That after all these years under evil kings they finally find the book of the law. They discover something. And when the, the law is read to jo- Josiah he realizes something very important. He realizes that he and the people of Israel have not been keeping the book They have not been obeying God's Word. And so what does he do? Does he run from the truth? Does he try to undermine the truth? Does he try to discredit the truth? That's an old book. We don't have to obey that anymore. I'm the king now. No. Instead, he recognizes the truth that's in that book. And he rents his clothes. He tears his clothes because he knows... How out of compliance the people of Judah are. It goes on in verses chapter 34, 29 through 33 that he recommits his life and the people of Judah to the work and covenant of God. Look at verses 29 and following, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and the people, great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments." when he recognized the truth, when he was confronted with the truth, he recommitted himself to the truth. What can we learn from Josiah? Number one, young people can lead. Young people sometimes recognize the truth when sometimes the older folks have become desensitized or a little hard hearted and the young people have these pure hearts and when they see the truth they're ready to obey it and that's what we see in Josiah he's a pure heart and he just wants to please God he's seeking honestly sometimes as we get older we begin to have an agenda Sometimes as we get older, we begin to try to put our own perceptions and perspective over Scripture. And we want to read it like we want to read it. But when Josiah in his youth heard the words of the law, he was confronted with the truth and he had to obey it. The Bible says about young people in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. No matter how young you are, you can be a leader, an example to us older folks. That's one thing we learn from Josiah. Number two, leadership is about doing what's right and not necessarily about doing what's popular. You know, we like to take polls, don't we? They got a poll for a poll for a poll for a poll. What's that poll saying? Why? Because if you're a politician, then you want to make sure you have the approval of the people, right? And it's not so much that they're actually shaping the consensus but they're letting the consensus drag them along and as long as they put up a front that this is what we're going to do then, then people go along with it right but true leadership isn't about doing what everybody wants it's about doing whatever what, what's right isn't it and sometimes those things can be different can't they Sometimes people get caught up in emotion. Sometimes the mob grabs people and lynches people, doesn't it? Hey, there's been people who've been taken off and hung, and everybody was doing it. Everybody said it was right, but was it? A true leader does what's right, and it's not just about consensus. One person once said it like this, a man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd if you're going to lead the orchestra and every one of us are leaders in some sense we all are why because all of us have influence you have influence in your home you have influence in your work you have influence in your church it could be small it could be great but you have influence don't you so will you do what's right or will you do what everybody else is doing? True leadership and good leadership is about doing what's right. The next lesson that we can learn from Josiah is we must go where the truth leads us. No matter the cost. It says in, in 2 Chronicles thirty four nineteen. now it happened when the king heard the words that he tore his clothes. And that was just the beginning, right? He also went on to reinstate the the law, and he also celebrated the Passover, it says in the very next chapter. So my question to you is, have you discovered God's Word in your life? Have you discovered that? Because what we find out about God's Word is, is number one, it's fixed. Where everything else is changing... Time is filled with swift transition, we sing in that old hymn. Things are constantly changing. Every every week I go to work and I drive by a funeral home and guess what, there's a new name on the the sign. There's a new name on there. And I always pause to think, what's it going to be like when my name's up there? And, And guess what, no one's name stays up there very long either. But things are changing, but Scripture is fixed. It's there. It's going to say the same thing tomorrow. The book of the law is there. It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's settled. What else do we know about Scripture? It's eternal. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will endure forever. If I'm not preaching God's word, then I'm just preaching something that's going to blow away in the wind. But God's word stays forever. We also know that God's word's practical. That's why James says, I want you to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's comforting. And it's powerful and it's alive. The Bible says in Hebrews 4:12 that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That when you begin to read God's Word, to invest time in God's Word, you begin to discover something. You begin to discover who God is. You begin to discover, number one, who Christ is. Because the Bible is our connection to Christ. It says, even the Old Testament, Jesus said, these are they which testify me. When you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you discover who Jesus Christ is. And when you discover Christ, you discover God the Father. When you discover God the Father, you discover the Holy Spirit. And that's what you encounter in God's Word. You discover Christ, a Savior. Does this world... Need a Savior? Do I need a Savior? Do you need a Savior? When you read the truth of God's Word, you will find a Savior named Christ. Another thing that you will learn and discover in God's Word is the love of Christ. Do you think our world needs some love in it? This world is broken, this world is divided, this world is fighting amongst ourselves all the time. And when you read the book of the law, when you read God's word, you will discover what true love is. Not love for ulterior motives, not love to get ahead, no, but the love of Christ. Where God drew in into the sands of time, the most important act through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, that's love. In fact, Paul said it like this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. When you discover Scripture, you discover the love of Christ. You also discover the church of Christ. That when Jesus was in His ministry, He said, I will build a church. I will gather people unto Myself. A group of people who aren't perfect. A group of people who need forgiveness, who come together in commonality, who come together in the grace of God and begin to help one another and help the world. Who have a mission. Who have a purpose. Who have meaning. Because it's ultimately not about ourselves. And that's the most vain life there is, isn't it? When it's all about me or it's all about you. But when you discover Christ, you discover it's not about me. It's about He who created me. It's about my neighbor. It's about my church. It's about others. We also discover eternity with Christ. That's what we find. We find that this life isn't all that there is. We find that there is a promise we find out that there's a hope. A hope that we can count on. We use that word hope a lot, don't we? And what I mean by hope is is that you expect it to happen. You know, I can go out today and go buy me a lottery ticket. Right? And I can hope that that thing is going to hit. Now, what if I took that lottery ticket to the bank and I said, look, I want to get an advance on my winnings. How many banks do you think are going to give me an advance on my potential winnings? Hey, listen, I hope. I hope that that lotto ticket's going to hit. Now, will you give me a, uh, just, hey, you know, I'm going to hit for $150 million, Why don't you just give me $100,000 to get by for a little while? Call in the bank president. I want to talk to him, too. How many banks are going to give me some money? Not a one. And if I asked you for that loan, would you give it to me? I see some of you already walking out the door. That's the kind of hope that this world offers. But the kind of hope that Christ offers is one that you can bank your entire life on. Because it is as sure as this Bible is before us. It's as sure as the raised Jesus is. It's as sure as today is. What have you discovered in your life? Have you discovered Christ? By beginning to walk with Him, everything changes, nothing is ever the same. It's not always easy. But God promises that grand hope that He's here with us today and He will never forsake us nor leave us. Are you a Christian this morning? The Bible says it's very simple. That you begin that walk in faith. That you begin to believe through Scripture. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That because you see the sin in your life and in this world that you begin to say, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want, to, I want to put my life towards Christ. I want to follow Him. I see that He's true to His Word. And we confess Him to be the Son of God. And we're baptized into His body, the church, and we begin that walk in the light and in the truth. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you're weak or you need prayers, or you need a prayer of healing, or encouragement, whatever that need is, we want to sing this next song, Trust and Obey, 714, to encourage you to do like Josiah did, to do the right thing. So if you need anything at all, won't you please come now, as together we stand, and as we sing.